0: this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 18, our preview of the inaugural Innovations in Naval Care Conference, which takes place in Barcelona on May 6th and May 7th. After a brief discussion of the limitations of proper use of the phrase liver function tests, this conversation dives back into the Innovations in Naval Care program, starting with Session 3 and its focus on managing patients in different facilities, and then proceeding to discuss the patient organization session. Along the way, Jorn Schottenberg and Jeff Lazarus focus on the roles that primary care physicians, nutritionists, and bariatricians can play in the disease management process and the limits under which each group operates. Jeff makes a particular point about food insufficiency and how this leads to poor diets and increasing risk of disease, while Yorn comments on the idea that bariatric care might not be available or reimbursed in all countries and the challenges that poses. In discussing the patient organizing session, Jeff focuses on how central patients must be for this process to succeed, and Yorn focuses on some of the specific elements of the work that panelists Joachim does in Germany. Congratulations to Jorn and Jeff for creating this unique event. A public health view of Naples integrates the things most listeners in this podcast consider every day, like diagnostics, medication, and patient management. With an array of consensus-building and public sector education needs, like guidelines and endorsements, we don't think about all that much. It's a different look. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Can I enroll both you guys in my movement to make the phrase liver function tests a uh, swear word where you got to put 20 of the currency of your choice in the jar every time you use the phrase?
1: Yarn Schottenberg.
0: I will. Did I say liver function tests? Actually, you did. It says it says ILFT, right, which, is a, which is, is a whole different thing. But usually when doctors talk about liver function tests, it's based on the idea that AST and ALT actually mean something in this context. And as you pointed out, they don't. So I was actually writing on your example of why it's important to do that as compared to saying, no, Jorn used the bad word. So then... We move on to session three, how to manage patients with NAFLD in different healthcare facilities, which starts again in primary care, right?
1: Yeah, here you go. I think this is something we really wanted to have for this meeting to get to all these different perspectives. And the management is probably, every time we talk about identification, why should I identify the patient? Now, you said just a few seconds ago, a very important thing. I think it's about empowerment of the patient. But what can the physician do? And here again, we have Helen Jarvis from Newcastle. She's involved in a number of research projects and academic work, but also a primary care physician. I think she will do a brilliant job just to highlight what are the opportunities and what are the limitations uh, you're facing if you're aiming to manage these patients in primary care. The UK system, I think that came up a couple of times on this podcast. is a little special because it follows very precise rules and and barriers, and that can be helpful in certain referral situations. It can be bothersome because you're not free to do what you want with the patient. I'm very excited to hear her talk on this. And then this is actually where we have the nutritionists come in. Shira Selvasaji from the University of, of Haifa Tel Aviv Medical Center. She's a renowned expert. She did so many great papers on the effects of, of macronutrients. There's a big paper on red meat consumption and NAFLD driven by her group. So this should be also very interesting and exciting talk. And then finally, things we can do today is about talking to the patient in primary care, adding nutritionists and potentially weight management, which is an effective strategy, but not available to all patients, maybe not useful for all patients, maybe not being reimbursed for all patients. And we have a colleague here that will address interventions, may it be endoscopic or even surgical.
2: Jeffrey Lazarus. One of the interesting things Shira and her research group are doing as a nutritionist, you know, and linked to, to a liver unit, they can engage at the individual level how to improve your, your diet. And we know that that's challenging in the longer term. And they're looking at studies, you know, about, about how to facilitate that, But she also looks at structural issues. And she was a part of the ESO Lancet Liver Commission and raising, you know, really sounding the alarm on like ultra processed foods and like urine had studies on red meat. But I mean, there are just issues where it's just, it's hard to eat a healthy diet, even when you try it, because the food isn't always easily available. And if you don't have a lot of money, often the food is of worse quality. And we know that ultra processed foods are often quite inexpensive and some of the most harmful, harmful things to be eating. So she's, she's looking at things really from an individual and a, and a structural perspective, and she'll be getting at that in her talk.
0: So we can change things one by one, but also in one go. I'll be intrigued to hear that. I mean, as, as we all know, my Microbiome is getting a lot more attention these days and microbiome and the kind of things that Dr. Zalvisagi talks about have a bunch to do with each other. So I'll be interested in that. From the perspective of the podcast, one of the most successful episodes we had last year was the 7 o'clock talk, the uh, Dr. Crespos, uh, Professor Crespos talk about bariatric. And what we were talking about was the Splendor study at a Cleveland Clinic where they were able to show that if you could, through bariatric surgery, cause a 20% drop in weight and hold it for 12 months, you could regress F4 back to F3 in a significant portion of patients. So I'm wondering whether this talk is targeted at that kind of thing or something a lot more basic? Where do you expect the talk is going to take you?
1: Yeah, I think the talk will go directly to the clinical evidence we're seeing. It will review the studies and meta-analysis and bariatrics, but it will also talk about the endoscopic procedures and how the NITs that we have available are changing. There are now histology based trials, so it will review the evidence because we want to be practical and we want to send the message on what can be done in the management today. This is something that um, will be very conclusive
0: in this case. So before we go on to the second day, simple question. If the target attendee walked out of the first day's session with a thought balloon hanging over their head, what would you want that thought balloon to say?
2: For me, it would be something along the lines like, there's a lot more to fatty liver disease than I realized. There's a lot more my colleagues and I can do. It's not all hopeless. On the one hand, we do need to change the world, but there's also a lot of changes we can make um, stepwise.
1: And I do see the primary care physician that has the thought balloon or maybe the question raising, and I thought I didn't have to act on that elevated. Uh, liver enzyme, because he felt either you know he's not in the position to do so, or the specialist should take care of it. But I'd like to to really empower the other co physicians or the physicians have seen most of these patients actually the endocrinologists and the primary care to get a strategy or to get to know the strategy on how to address these patients and not to worry about all patients they're seeing because they're seeing a lot. Jeff mentioned up to seventy percent, but to identify the right patient that's going to develop cirrhosis and cancer in a reasonably short time where we can prevent this and I. Think think this is at the heart of the responsibility of the physician.
0: That's interesting. That's really interesting. My, my, my thought balloon, as a naive observer, just had the word "yikes" in it, or "oh wow," or something like that. Mm-hmm. Level of level of registering scope of problem compared to anticipated scope of problem. The other thing I'm interested by in the context of what you just said, Jorn, is you go back to um, if you go back to the talk from Professor Dylan, right? When you're talking about primary care, it's unlikely that they're going to compute um, fit fours, for example, on their own, e- even if they know how to do it. I mean, this is uh, Stevens Greedham and freedom thing again. They don't have a lot of time. They've got tons of space they need to cover. And this isn't anywhere near their warehouse. So we talked about this in the context of cholesterol, that what started moving cholesterol in the U.S. was when the labs stopped reporting an abnormally high value as being two uh, standard deviations above the mean and took it down to a predefined number. So if we can start automating fours and then putting a flashing red arrow next to it, that in and of itself will do more to move awareness because people will know they're supposed to do something than if we ask them to do it on their own.
1: I agree. And just to follow up on this, I mean, John Dillon, his group, has done a tremendous job uh, and liver function tests are so intimately linked to liver disease. But there are other ways. You can have the machine calculate based on risk factors, obesity, type 2 diabetes uh, presence, and age above 55 and predict. Even if you don't have a single test on the liver, you can uh, stratify these patients. There's a paper out that we discussed here in the podcast some time ago, uses a couple of numbers in in a machine learning algorithm or clinical characteristics. I think there are many ways ways. And if somebody walks away and says, you know, I'm going to rethink how I structure and see these patients or develop a new tool to identify them in primary care, this is one goal that would then be achieved.
2: I mean, I completely agree with you And this. There's different ways to stratify. And, you know, we can have long debates than we do about utility and the accuracy of Fib4 or another non-invasive test. We're going to miss some people. There's going to be issues around um, false and negative predictive values. But we're doing so little right now. And there's a lot we, we we can do. And I think we're, we're you know, we're at that stage where we're, we're not even doing some of the basic, basic stuff. And there I look to, I understand it's a challenge at the you know primary care level and general practice, but I certainly look to, you know, to the diabetes field, and endocrinology to be doing a lot more among their patients, even though I know there's often willingness, but many of them are also, have their hands full.
0: Well, then theoretically, better tools will help, right? Which is why you get back to things like automating lab scores and, and, and rethinking when to get people to pay attention, which I always thought has been huge. Attentive to calendar. Let's move on to the second day, which starts with a patient organization session. Interesting title. What did you have in mind? Well, Yorns
2: going to chair, so I'll turn to him to say more. But um, for me, it's just essential to make sure that um, the patients, that community groups are involved in in everything we do. And certainly every, every meeting and to the extent possible, even some of the papers um, and research um, I'm involved in. So we want to have the patient voice. We want that patient voice to be mainstreamed throughout the events. I mean, the patients are invited to be there the whole time. And I think this will be a meeting that will be of particular interest to them because there'll be many sessions that are a little less clinical than than at some of the large liver congresses where they may not always be able to, some of them may not be able to follow. So it's really, I don't mean that in any disparaging way. I can't follow them all either. We just want to make sure that the patients also have a specific session for their voices. Because in a way we could say the clinicians sessions, you know, for for a lot of these, you know, it's funny, we we pull out the patients and say, this is for them, but, um, and there are also patients who are, you know, clinicians and vice versa so this is a chance for them to share their experiences. And again, you know, looking back to the playbook in HIV and biohepatitis C, it's been so important. And it was first in 2015 that, that the hepatitis C patient groups met for the very first time they met in Scotland. They got together and they made that the movement and they created the no Hep movement. And so this is just one small contribution to give the patients a chance to speak together and to, to speak to all of us, both the audience and, and to all of the other faculty.
1: Yeah, and I think the involvement of patients, we're going to have it see it again at the roundtable discussion, uh, Roger, that you'll be moderating, is is something that really excites me about day two. So uh, if I'd have to choose, I'd probably choose day two because really this is where you're going to get the different perspective on the disease. You're going to hear more than automated liver function tests or additional risk stratifications. I think this is where the group that's affected, the group that Either you're trying to develop a test for or a treatment. What's their perspective on this? And there's so many facets to the disease. Achim Kautz is going to join me. He's from Germany, so i worked with him before. And uh, I know they've been doing some very interesting studies, doing milieu studies, looking at where do these patients actually come from in a country like Germany that's particularly wealthy, well-educated. You have lots of resources to reach people and educate them. Still, we're seeing obesity and FLD rates are just incredibly high. And he really reached out to see you know, where where are these NAFLD cases being generated? Where can we then, for example, address prevention strategies better? So I think this is something very interesting. It brings in a different perspective. And, and and again, what do these patients say? What do they need? What would help them? Because sometimes as a physician, I say, you know, if I tell him he has a high liver enzyme, this will help him to, to focus on the liver enzyme, get it down, but maybe there's this, of course, that's not the right answer, but what does the patient need? And I can only, from my very limited physician's perspective, think about this. So uh, this is really an exciting opening Session for me and a round table again. I'll be chairing and, and asking questions, but I think there's going to be so much input just from these advocacy groups to educate
0: us on, on disease and what's needed.
1: And now, back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss what the leaders of the Nail NIT initiative believe we might learn from their retrospective analyses. We may also have some news for you at that time. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.